There we are. Welcome back to another episode of the Beautiful Mind Game podcast with Millie and Hams. Um, what a great day again to do another brilliant podcast with another brilliant guest as well. We're happy to be back. Hams, how are you? I'm very good today. It's nice to be here. And like you said, we've got another special guest lined up and someone who I'm really looking forward to learning from personally. So again, it will help me with my coaching journey and my scouting journey, having a uh, a professional scout on on the podcast and someone professional coach on the on the podcast but someone who I've seen work from afar uh, mostly through you introducing me to her uh, Millie so I'm really thankful for, for that and that we've got um, a special guest on the podcast today so Millie if you'd like to introduce our guest that would be um, a great start to the episode and I can't wait to learn more from our special guest. I'm looking forward to hearing what you two have to say and how you bounce off each other I think it'd be really interesting really interesting so Without further ado, our special guest today is very, very, very interesting. I remember the very first time I met her, just to give her a little intro, we were both on the, um, <laughs> yeah, we were both on the BBC breakfast sofa together and she was kind of calming me down. I was really, uh, let's say, quite nervous. But yeah, she was there calming me down. And you know what? We I think we had about 10 minutes of a conversation and I learned loads in that conversation. I came away from it thinking, wow, like, honestly, I'm not even joking. I thought, wow, like, this person is a special person. So, Ali Speechley, welcome onto the podcast. It's great to have you on. Hi, Millie. Hi, Hams. Um, thanks for having me. I, I, guys, I feel gassed. I don't think I've ever had such a an amazing introduction to a podcast before. But, um, yeah, thanks. That's for what we're here me. for. That's what we're here for, <laughs> isn't it, Hams? cheerleaders. We- we we have to value our guests in the way that we we know that they're extraordinary because we only invite extraordinary people onto our podcast, so hey. we're fitting the bill quite well. So yeah, Thanks, thank you very guys. much. So Ali, um, so Hamza's just said you're a coach, a football coach. Uh, let's get into a little bit of that, seeing as though you're both on the same team, kind of. I'm on the other side of it this time. <laughs> so um, just tell us a little bit about your coaching. How did you get into coaching? How did you get into coaching football? I got into coaching football um, because I love a freebie is is the answer. So basically I was playing Sunday league football, not, not at your level, Millie. Um, I was just playing Sunday league football in Clapham and every, basically every women's team got offered two free places for an FA level one. And this was like 2014. So I I was I didn't really think I hadn't thought about coaching before that point but I just kind of thought oh it's free like I'll go I'll go and see what it's about um and then it kind of just skyrocketed from there to be honest like I sort of haven't looked back since then but that is technically how I got into it is just because someone said oh do you want to do this it's free and I was like yep (laughs) it's great it's really good and they were offering that like the FA was just offering that for free yeah, so I think, I think it was actually the amateur FA um, in conjunction with London FA were offering out two free places per club for, for every women's sort of team within that league at that time, um, which was the Greater London Women's Football League. Um, and so, yeah, and, and obviously not everyone took it up, but but we my club did. So that's how I got involved. Yeah, thank God you did as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say to you, did you stop football after that and just went on with the coaching? Yeah, so basically, I because in some respects, I'd only just started playing football properly because I'm of that generation that was told, like, you can't play football because you're a girl and football's for boys. So when I was 10 years old, that's what my school teacher said to me. You can't play for the school team. We'll let you play at lunchtime in the playground, but you can't play officially for the school team because you're a girl and it's a boys team. Um, so I never play. I didn't play at school. Then at secondary school, I played hockey because I went to an all girls school. There wasn't really any football, um, at university. I didn't, cause I hadn't played. I felt a bit intimidated. So I didn't have the confidence to, to go and try out or anything. And then I just used to play. I just used to kick about the ball with kind of like male work colleagues basically like in the park in the summers and that's what I was doing when I was about I think I was just about to turn 30 so I was about 29 and I was just we were in the park one summer 
And these two Canadian women came over and said, oh, my friends just set up a team in Clapham. Like, you should come and try out. And I was a bit like, what, me? Because obviously by that point, like, I was nearly 30. I just, I thought that whole opportunity would have passed me by. And um, and so I went along to Clapham uh, one evening and I felt, I actually felt a range of emotions. I felt quite overwhelmed because I'd never seen so many women playing football. And and then I felt kind of stupid that I didn't realise it existed, if that made sense. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I, c- I could have been doing this all this time. So that's why I'm a living, breathing example of if she can see it, she can believe it. And if she can believe it, she can achieve it. Because it honestly wasn't until I saw it that I was like, oh, so it does exist. So it is for girls and it is for women. Um, and yeah, so I'd only been playing about I think I'd probably just started maybe my third season with that Sunday league team when that coaching opportunity came through. Um, And then when I started coaching, I couldn't really be in two places at once. So that kind of was the end of my playing, yeah. So did you prefer coaching? Um, I don't know. Like there's part of me that, that does miss playing. Um, and I'm actually thinking now I might try and get back into a bit of five-a-side or something, uh, just, you know, like purely recreational football, just for the fun of it. Although five-a-side can be pretty intense, so I need to choose the right people because <laughs> especially when you coach, people think, A, they assume you're going to be a baller because you're a coach, especially in some of the places that I've coached, which I'm sure we'll come on to, and then B, or they want you to coach them. And I'm like, no, I literally just want to turn up be a little bit rubbish and then have fun and go home. Um, so I need to choose my people properly. But um, I think... Who's Hams? <laughs> Hams is a good teammate. <laughs> Hams is shaking his head. I'm, I'm, ba- I'm, I'm still in awe that you're, you said you were back when I was 30. Like you don't even look a day over 25. But okay. <laughs> yeah, right. so, well, this December I'm turning 40. Oh, my God. And this is... Um... Yeah, you'll be schooling all of your academy players in, in no time. <laughs> And this is why I'm kind of, um, it's almost like I want to do it as a birthday present to myself. Be like, yeah, let's go and play some five aside. Um, like, let's let's get back to it. But but to answer your question, Millie, about do I like do I prefer coaching to playing? I think it's very different. It's very different. I think well, there's a caveat on that. People might hate me for this. If you do it properly, it's very different. I know some coaches who try and get involved too much and I'm like, you're not here for that. No one's trying to scout you, son. You're too old. Like, you're supposed to be coaching these players. Um, so, yeah, they're very different and I love love both playing and coaching, but for different reasons. Interesting. Would you agree, Hans? Uh, in a way. So, first of all, um, yeah, our podcast, well, my original podcast, Friday Night Counter-Attack, started because it was a group of us five-a-side guys literally starting a podcast during lockdown as well, Ali. So the fact that Millie was like, yeah, go with Hams. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a perfect five-a-side teammate. I'm the guy that just goes up after like having like like pizza and chips like two hours before, but I'm still <laughs> I'm still doing my dirty work. And I'm still making doing sure bits, that. Yeah. Doing bits, which is what we need to do as well. But no, I've been injured this summer. So in terms of playing five-a-side, you miss the fun of it a lot as well. And you miss the fact that you have that camaraderie with your friends. So as an alternative and Millie joined in, Hopefully, Millie shared the video with you. We played a we played a round of foot golf instead because it was less oh, running. Amazing! It was a lot more fun. It was in the summer. It was in the greenery of north the northwest of England, and it was fantastic. It was really enjoyable because you miss that social aspect more than anything. But I probably would agree with what Ali was saying as well. Again, Millie, I'm still I'd say like a baby in this coaching journey so far. So what two years into it quite now, I'm really looking forward to seeing where I can go from that. I had an interview this morning as well about a coaching role, which I'll hopefully get we'll see what happens with it but basically just a quick one on that hams how did you actually get into the coaching how yeah because i was i think it's just through lockdown so basically that's how i got into scouting as well basically just the fact of losing a job that i thought oh i'm gonna this is the end of me but i really really thought that oh yeah it's just a another job that just pays me money i'm not really sad about it let's find a job that i really want to be passionate about and what was i passionate about coaching and helping people and I could do that seven days of the week 24 hours a day and I'm really good at coaching so I thought what can I coach even better football what I talk about all the time which is fantastic and um, it started with scouting and then it started with coaching so it's just basically the fact that I ended up following a passion of mine and whenever people say kind of like with Ali as well um, oh yeah this isn't a place for a girl this isn't what it should be like 
is people like saying people don't people don't look at us and see football coaches. They don't see people without ethnicity and think, oh yeah, he's going to be a good football coach one day. But then you kind of realize, you know what? People say that, then they forget about what you're doing for the next three, four months, and you carry on with what you're doing anyway. And then you go back and you're like, oh, it's actually pretty good. I um to kind of tell you a story as well. Like we've started a team up within a year now in Stoke on Trent. It's a very community based team, and we're getting some of our players into big Premier League clubs and step one and step two clubs, which is fantastic to see just for training. And it's really helping the local community out really well. And we had a message last week uh, by one of the parents saying, it's just one of the best experiences they've ever had, not because of playing football, but by having friends. So Ali, if you are looking at getting back into five side, find the ones that are very friendly, not the ones that be like, how dare you not defend or how dare you miss that <laughs> chance? Because that's the worst kind of five side. I've had that before as well when they're taking it like world cup Too final every friday yeah. and you're like no just leave me alone i came to see my friends i came to have a little um a workout it was fine don't go stressing about it as well but then again i tend to stress about it sometimes as well so <laughs> i've got i've got the video footage to to, to prove that you're as well. passionate you're passionate that's important and don't get me wrong like i'm competitive and i am passionate but there's a there's a line isn't there and i think when some people cross it sometimes i think nah, you know what i just like that's not the team for me because... I've, se- I've seen friendships end over a five-a-side game i'm just kind of there like you, you've known each other for like 10 15 years and you're crying over a, a ball <laughs> behave move on carry on with your life but yeah millie um that's kind of that was kind of my answer hopefully it was adequate enough yeah no it's it's really cool to hear both of you as well and how like you got into it because you both are passionate people and it's so cool that we're all passionate about football as well. I found that really nice. Um, Hamish, you touched on something as well about um, like ethnicity and like who you are. Ali, I wanted to see if that was the same for you. Did you feel the same in terms of like ethnicity? Because you are, remind me again, but you are Yeah, so my, well, my dad passed away when I was little, but he was Indian um and came over to this country in the 60s um and my mum is half Italian so I basically call myself Indalian but um yeah like my 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 dad was Indian and the thing is for me is that obviously like I don't think I look particularly like when I say Italian people feel like they can see the Italian but people don't always guess the Indian um Mm -hmm. And I've got a twin brother and I always joke with him that like, oh, you stole my tan in the womb because he's like darker than me all year round. Um, So he probably looks more, more Asian. But so I think for me, because I don't immediately present as non-white, it's really interesting. A lot of white people assume that I am white and then people who aren't white will tend to be like, where are you from? Like they can see, so Hams, when you said just before we started recording, you asked me where I was from. Mm. And I said, like, what do you mean? Because it was your accent. That's what I was asking. Yeah. Like, so he meant like, are you from London? Like, where are you from? But sometimes people who aren't white can see in me that I'm not fully white, if that makes sense. And they tend to be the people who ask me now, but where are you from? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. So, so to answer your that's question, that's a whole nother episode coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, as well. hundred percent. But, um, but Millie, to answer your question, like I haven't really faced, uh, racism or adversity because of my ethnicity, because I've been environments where people just, there's a lot of white people who assume I'm white um what I have faced obviously is a lot of sexism and prejudice around gender but yeah ethnicity fortunately hasn't been a barrier for me but what I try to do is use the fact that people relax around me because they they or treat or maybe treat me differently because they think I'm white and I try and use my sort of I guess my platform that I get that because it is a privilege like for me not to have experienced racism is a privilege and I try and use that privilege to make sure that I represent people you know black and Asian people and and create opportunities for them and try and bring them in to those circles or also like call out that racism if I hear it because you know sometimes when people are racist they relax around people who they think are gonna are gonna just let them say whatever and that's happened to me before where people have made comments and I'm like sorry what um whereas they wouldn't have made that comment if I was dark-skinned 
So I do try and use it to to just call some people out sometimes. No, yeah, complete. To be honest, for me, I completely relate to you as well because people don't often look at me and think, "Oh, she's Asian or Indian or whatever." And then, for example, my surname is Chandarana, but people don't even see it. They just think. Like some people are like, oh, you're Indian, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, my surname's Chandarana. <laughs> but I, like, honestly, I think I relate to that a lot because I'm the same. All like growing up, I was always in like a predominantly white school and this and that. But I did feel that I was different growing up. I did feel that there was different things. Like we have different food. My grandma cooks different food, and like just little things what you wouldn't even think of. Like my hair is darker than a white person's would be and I didn't really know how to cope with it when I was growing up to be honest there we go yeah so I mean I realize it more now with age yeah. like I realize it grow like growing up I realize the differences and why I felt that way and why I didn't feel that way but you're right we could do a whole new topic on this like a whole topic and I feel like sometimes I remember once you said to me and it really stuck with me this you once said to me that you didn't really know where you fitted in when you were younger. And I felt like I was the same. I didn't really understand because I wasn't fully white. So I didn't think I felt like um, was in with the white, predominantly white culture. But then I don't think I fit in with the predominantly Asian culture either. So I was kind of always in the middle. I love it. It's great. It's amazing to be like that. But I was always kind of in the middle. And that's just me. That's just who I am. Well, I've learned to live with that now. It is a really interesting one. I think like I, so during lockdown, actually, I, I won um, South Asian Sports List Award uh, for coaching. Congratulations. And, thank you. And when um, when I found out I'd, I'd won the award, I, I told my family and my, my sister was like, my, my sister, my actual sister. So I've got a twin brother and three sisters. And one of my sisters was like, did you tell them you're not Asian and I was like <laughs> I was like but we are like that's Indian like what are you talking and she was like oh yeah and I was like and you know so that's my own family like identity is a really interesting thing and and I think it's very personal and everyone sort of has to find their own way with it but I think when you are mixed whatever you are mixed with it's a special, special, like you're in a special club. Do you know what I mean? Because you, I think anyone who is mixed has all, has gone through that moment and it might have lost, it might still, they might still be with them now. It might last their whole lives, but you at least have one moment where you're like, I don't feel enough of that, but I also feel too little of the other. So where like, and I think in my, over my years, I've just learned to embrace, you know, that, everyone actually regardless of what ethnicity you are everyone is still unique and so just like find your own place in it and be comfortable within the skin that you have yeah I completely agree and I think it's something that's so important we did have a chat about identity didn't we Hams this week we have spoken strongly about it because it's something that relates to all of us and it's so it's so important as well and I think yeah. also just bringing it back to football as well, I think that's one of the reasons football has always had such a special place in my heart because actually it, it was mine. It was like, I'm one of five children and, you know, I'm one of four girls. I went to the same school as all my sisters went to. My sisters are all older than me. And I think football really helped me identify myself as like, this is mine. Like no one else in my football is crazy about, no one else in my family is crazy about football like I am. And it, it really, it is a massive part of my identity. And I think it's partly because I have struggled with, well, who am I then? I'm not this and I'm not that. And so it's like, well, I'm a football coach. Like I love football. Yeah. Did you? What about you, Hams? Did you feel like, I don't know, when you started to coach and when you really went to follow your passions, did you start to feel a similar kind of way? No, not really. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> Just honest. Just killed it. He was like, no. No, not at all. Because, again, well, Ali wouldn't know this, but Millie, I've told you like a numerous amount of times, like, that's not something I kind of look for when I kind of go out or in, into the world, really. I don't really go are they treating me differently because I'm brown or they treat me differently because I'm a Muslim or whatever it is. It's just like, 
mm-hmm. of here's the new guy, let's teach him the ropes, let's carry on. Then you're looking at the other people coming in like a couple months afterwards, they're a new guy, treated exactly the same, talked to exactly the same, helped out exactly the same, go to university to study it part-time as well. Um, the One of three brown guys in a, in a room full of 80 people as well. So um, what happens there? Nothing, treated exactly the same. The, the benefit is everyone knows my name because Hamza is not a very common English name, which is perfectly fine with me. So I'm happy with it as well. Um, second year comes into university, the group half, what happens? Everyone knows me, knows me by name. Um, go out to into Miami to coach for a week. What happens? Only one of two brown guys there, one of three brown guys there, the only brown coach there. What happens? Brooklyn Breckham knows my name. So yeah, perfectly fine. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, like I think it's because I'm like I said before, I'm still a baby in this kind of coaching role at the moment. But no racism suffered so far, nothing in my scouting so far. Uh whether it's online, whether it's over um in person, whether it's about to have a full pitch, perfectly fine. But again, I haven't got the as much experience or life experience as Ali so far. So who knows? Maybe it could come, but hopefully it's just a positive way of looking at things that signs are actually changing, people are recognizing other ethnicities as predominant football coaches and predominant people in football as well not just at grassroots level but higher up going um going step by step by step which i'm really looking forward to and you're a prime example millie as well which is great to see because obviously the both of you were on um, bbc raid bbc breakfast um but for our listeners who don't know why don't you both share the story of how you actually came to meet up in person together and what that was actually about that'd be a great story to listen to i think go on ali i'll let you lead yeah okay so obviously there's an amazing film (laughs) that's old now but it's called bend it like beckham if you've never seen the film i actually encourage you to watch it because i think it's interesting watching it in 2022 because there are parts of the film that i watched recently that i cringed at a bit that felt a bit uncomfortable so it is it's an interesting film to watch in today's you know times the bit when the coach goes when 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 Jess goes, oh, I was racially abused by a player. That's why I hit out. And then the coach goes, I'm Irish. I'm I get like, oh, it. God. I'm Irish. I get I'm it. I'm Irish. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and also yeah. Um, but there's it deals with it. It tackles a lot of issues. You know, like homophobia, racism, the stuff that me and Millie have just been talking about about like not feeling enough of one culture and and not feeling enough of another culture and things like that and and religion and it, it brings all of that into it but basically that that film celebrated its 20th anniversary this year um and so the BBC did um a documentary about the film and then off the back of that BBC breakfast were like oh let's have a little let's have a little um a piece on this and then they invited Gorinda Chada, who's the director of the film. They invited her to come and speak. And then, yeah, then I'm in that documentary. So they were like, oh, let's let's get this, this football coach on. And then it was brilliant because Gorinda was on, like being streamed via video link. So she wasn't actually in the studio. And I didn't know if there was going to be anyone else in the studio until I got there. So when, Millie, when I saw Millie, I was like, oh my God, thank God. Because I didn't want to sit on that sofa by myself. Like it felt a bit intimidating. So... That's how me and Millie, like, we literally met in, like, before we had our makeup done, didn't it? <laughs> we met in she the thought, room, as it were. She thought, thank God, because I was just there white. It <laughs> just be on the sofa. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just glad there was another person there. Was the white your yeah. makeup, Millie? Or was that just the lack of colour in your face at the time? I'm glad I had a bit of makeup on. <laughs> she what like if you watch if you watch the interview hams because you can actually see it and she she absolutely smashed it. So I know she was nervous, but she did it didn't come across. I didn't think you I don't think you can tell at all. The funniest thing was it was like I think it was like a month or two after we started the Beautiful Mind Game podcast as well. So she was going, Oh yeah, I'm going on BBC Radio for the rest of the week and I'm going on BBC News. And I'm like, and she's like, why are you nervous? I'm like, why Why are you nervous? Like, you do this with me all the time. So I'm trying to like calm her down. I'm like, this is more important than BBC News. <laughs> and then she was like, oh yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. And it worked really well. It was nice seeing you on a breakfast show as well. And hopefully more to come. Um, obviously highlighting the diversity in football. And I thought you two made, made a great pair as well. And then what was the main kind of topics you were both brought in to talk about, Ali? What would you say? It, to be honest, it was really open. I don't know about you, Millie, but I wasn't really prepped that much to be honest it was like you know we'll obviously speak about your, you as a football coach and um and and what the impact 
fact that the film because I was only 19 when that film came out so I went to see that film in the cinema and um so it was just they were just asking me you know the impact that that film had on me um and yeah but otherwise it was they're quite the thing is with people in tv is that because they're so used to doing live tv they kind of just roll with it and then they'll spit out questions to you and you're like you're thinking you didn't ask like you didn't say that to me yesterday when you phoned me so yeah it was an interesting experience but I really enjoyed it that's true that I remember you got a question and I in my head I was thinking please don't ask me the same question because I can't think of anything to say She was all. like, um, I think it was Charlie, actually. Someone said, someone basically said, oh, have you got a question for Gorinda? And I was like, if you'd asked me yesterday, I could have thought of something amazing in advance. And I, I, I mean, I think I styled it out. But yeah, that was the only bit that kind of threw me, to be honest. Yeah. How did you think that the, like, did the film have an impact on you? Yeah, like it absolutely did. And, and and this is partly what I speak about in the documentary is that and, and kind of what we've covered a little bit in this conversation already is that at that time when I was 19, I was actually studying film at university and I and I was doing it combined with English literature. And I was basically obsessed with any film or any book that was about identity, that was about, you know, how how we identify ourselves and it's because I think I didn't really realize it at the time, but I was struggling with like, who am I? Like, where did I come from? What am I about? And um, when I watched that film, you know, I'd, I've loved football since I could walk, but I'd all, I, up until that point, I'd consistently been told no. And um, when I watched that film and I saw this girl up on the screen who everyone else was telling her no but that there was a group of people that brought her in and and kind of were telling her yes and I was like well you know what if she's found her place with it then maybe I could find mine and obviously that then took a long time like it wasn't for another 10 years after that but then I actually but it was me I was playing football in the park and then someone came up to me and invited me to play football with them and so I think, yeah, like the film definitely impacted me. It just took a little bit of, of time for it to kind of come come to fruition. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've spoken a lot about identity as well already. If there were three words that you could describe yourself, how you identify yourself, what would those three words oh, be gosh. for you? identify myself um spoiler alert we've revealed ours on a previous podcast so we will reveal ours to see how we compare with you Ali okay um I think I think what has to be authentic I think I'm very like how I'm talking to you now is how I would talk to my players is how I talk to my colleagues in the office in my other job that hasn't got anything to do with football is do you know what I mean it's how I talk to my fam I I'm very much what you see is what you get so I think authentic would have to be a word to describe me. Um, empathetic. I'm an empath for sure. Sometimes that's a difficult thing because sometimes you almost take on too much, like too much of someone else's emotion. And you try and also sometimes you almost try and help fix everything. And it's like sometimes actually you just need to listen. Um, but I'm definitely empathetic. And then, and again, that comes into my coaching as well. That That's who I am inside and outside of football. Um, and then to be honest, like, I mean, well, I like to think I'm funny, but I think I am a bit of a joker as well. Like I did, humor's really important to me. It's really like comedy is something that I really enjoy in my downtime, it really helps me because I have anxiety. So it really helps me deal with that. If I'm ever feeling anxious about stuff, I'll literally just like flick onto YouTube and watch like a stand up comedian or something just because it helps alleviate some of that stress. And so, yeah, I think um, I think I'd say I'm I'm a bit of a joker as well, but like in a good way, not in a kind of <laughs> not in a foolish way. Studies have proven that the Beautiful Mind Game podcast helps alleviate anxiety and oh, there you go <laughs> i read that somewhere too yeah i think it's going to be published in a journal in new york soon as well so <laughs> the work we're doing is being recognized nationally and internationally it's good um, to know. Well, um but no uh, we kind of did the same as well like when we were talking about identity we weren't talking about us as 
like a human being nationally or ethnicity or anything like that. We were talking about like what did I come up with Millie last week? It was like peaceful, passionate, um, and something like yeah, it was like three P's that I gave myself. He, with, he yeah. Hams went for the alliteration. I see. Yeah, yeah, it was easy to remember as well because Millie put me on the spot with that question. But Millie did the same kind of thing as well. Like we didn't go for oh we're Indian or oh, we're a footballer or oh we're this or we're that. It's this is who we are as a character, as a person. Mm. If you strip everything back down, this is what we have in the bare bones of us and that's exactly how you would describe yourself which i thought was a quite nice way of talking about one another because you never really for some people they never really see race or religion as a fact or as a good thing or a bad thing it's just a thing that happens mm. but as you've kind of said as well there's been benefits to it and there's been negative things to it as well ali but i wanted to kind of know the fact that you are a coach and you have been coaching at clubs like tottenham and i think chelsea as well i think i remember clearly hearing as well or reading about previously have you ever had kids or parents come up to you and be like, um, like of ethnic minorities? And it doesn't have to be like black or Asian, but like any other ethnic uh, background and being, oh, it's a lot more comforting seeing someone like you here or someone who has this kind of background getting into coaching and they found it a bit more reassuring, which has led you into like coaching your women team as well. Um, I don't think so. Again, because I just don't, I think a lot of people don't even realise that I'm half Indian in all honesty. So I don't I don't think um they would make that connection unless I told them about it. I think potentially what I have helped with is like I'm from Southeast London and I am authentic. We've just talked about that. So I don't try and talk in any other way. This is how I talk. Hopefully this is how I sounded on BBC Breakfast as well. You can go back and fact check it. <laughs> but you know, this is how I talk and I think sometimes um regard I've coached in lots and lots of different environments so yes I, I have coached some academies but I've coached in lots of grassroots and community environments as well and I think wherever I've been it's really important to me that I've stayed true to myself and, and remained authentic because all of those players are different as well right and they're all individuals and children especially can spot when someone's trying to pretend to be something that they're not and so I think what I've probably definitely helped with in the past is maybe when there's players or and like children who are maybe from less privileged backgrounds, shall we say, um, who are like, oh, well, you know what, actually, like she kind of sounds like me and she kind of sounds like my friends and she knows what she's doing and she's here. So I think, you know, sometimes you don't, like I didn't set out to be a role model, but I think I probably am. Um, and I, and that's why it's really important to me to be authentic because yes, if I can, if little me can get from Catford, shout out SE6, to Cobham, then anyone can do it. Do you know what I mean? Okay, it kind of goes to show as well. We've spoken about this previously as well, but the fact that you never really know who you're inspiring at the same kind of time as well, in terms of how other people listening to this. Like we always say on our podcasts and on this one as well. Um, it only takes one person to change their opinion on someone just by listening to something or hearing something or by actually being seeing something in action as well. But to see someone like you in action and like for you, for what you said as well with the kids in different backgrounds and different environments, that must feel, you must feel like so proud of what you've done and how you've achieved it as well. After just going out on a limb and being, oh yeah, I'll coach for a bit. I'd like to try it. Just from that little thought process to what you're doing now to inspiring different people. You must feel ridiculously proud of yourself, Ali, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think when I look back on this, I've been coaching for eight years. And when I look back on that journey and all the different things I've done in that time, like it, it is a bit mad and um, I am proud of it. Um, and it hasn't always been easy. Like I, I've had some very, very testing, trying moments throughout that journey. And I'm sure, you know, what, depending on whatever I go on to do next there'll, there'll be more to come but I think ultimately yeah it's just I think I was so my the first part of my life was so shaped by being told no that I I think there is a sense of me that was I, I wasn't conscious of it but I think maybe I was trying to make up for lost time almost like I was a bit like okay well now I've been told yes I'm gonna I'm gonna go hell for leather on it I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything I can with it I can relate to that as well because again starting late in coaching compared to other people my peers as well starting when they were like in their teens and I'm starting in my mid-20s it's kind of like 
I, I feel like I have to overcompensate with what I need to do and how I need to train and how I need to go about learning this kind of role that other people find a lot easier than I do because of what they've done. But it still goes to show that there's so much more you can learn and show so much more that some people are happy sitting on their laurels. It's like you said earlier as well, I think. Some coaches are kind of there just to kind of feel like they're going to get scouted to become a coach like Chelsea or Man United or whatever. But you're there to develop yourself within a way where you're benefiting developing the kids more than developing yourself which is what it sounds like I can't assume that but it sounds like that yeah I think for me first and foremost as a coach it I'm there for the players I'm not so yes I every time I coach I learn something as well but my session isn't designed to teach me <laughs> it's designed to teach the players and it's not designed to showcase me as a coach it's designed to showcase the players um and I think you know, you have to start with your why, like as a coach, why do you coach? And then with every session that you coach, what, why are we coaching this session? What is the purpose of it? What are we trying to achieve? And what's the best way to achieve that for this set of players that you have in front of you? And I cannot stress that enough because the amount of times I get asked, Ali, have you got a session for this? Or have you got a session I can borrow for that? And I'm like, well, yeah, but my sessions are designed for my players. I don't coach your players. So you might be able to borrow maybe the spine of my, like the skeleton of my session, but ultimately, you know, don't, I, I can't remember the name of the guy, but I think it's Raymond someone. I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards. But he, he basically said like, um, if you basically, if you're, if you're copying other people's sessions as a coach, you are, you are basically using for solutions for problems that you do not have. And I love that. That's always stuck with me because it's like, yeah, like your whatever your situation is with your players, you're trying to solve a problem that, that is very unique to that, that set of players. So why are you going to copy someone else's session? Like they might not have your facilities. They might not have your setup, you know? So yeah, everything I, I do when I coach is for my players. No, I was just going to say that was fantastic to kind of hear as well, because I hear, on the other hand, everything in coaching is about copying. Like people tell us when we're, when we're there, I'm like, when we're, when we're coaching, they're just like, oh, you can copy so many people's sessions design. You can copy when you go to watch like Man United play the drills that they do before the game. I'm like, okay, I get it. But there's no authenticity in that for me as well. It's like Millie and I always talk about whenever we talk about things on the Beautiful Mind game, we have to talk about things that are authentic and real to us because otherwise we're just copying what other people are doing. And it kind of goes into coaching as well because, like you just said, you've explained it perfectly. I think that may need to be like a, a subheading for our episode today as well, Millie. But I just wanted to say that was really nice to kind of hear your your own kind of thought process in it as yeah, well. Yeah, and like, and, and, you know, I don't want listeners to get me wrong. Like, there's a very common phrase that you'll hear, particularly in football, is, you know, the best coaches are the best thieves. And I understand the sentiment behind that. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not being, I'm not being facetious. Like, I, I, I get what people mean by that. But what I'm trying to say is, like, you still then have, you can't just copy and paste. You have to copy and then edit and then, you know, like, make it realistic and, and purposeful for your players before you then apply it in your environment with your with whatever you have at your disposal. Millie, have you ever seen that in any of your coaches? Have you noticed that like a trend or have you seen that in terms of you've had a new coach or you've had a previous coach where you, you feel like, oh yeah, I've done this before or I felt like he's copied this off this person before. Has that happened with you? You don't have to mention any clubs obviously because of uh, legality and Millie's stuff like, like that. Millie's like, I'm on a contract here. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, like, I'm wearing the badge right now as well. But yeah. You can, you can you can be as, as <laughs> you know you know what to be honest and I'm not even joking with like the sessions that are put on for us because I'm a player and yeah I've coached in the past but I don't coach at that like the level you two do so as a player I'm just there to play like and I just love playing and yeah sometimes in I, I remember a few years ago sometimes in those sessions I was a bit like oh like it's a bit slow or this and that and the other but then, like, I just want to play. So for me, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's not much I can really say about that because I'm on the other side and I'm literally just 
wanting to play. Yeah, I think probably as a player, you probably wouldn't be conscious unless a coach said to you, "Look, I watched this on YouTube, and it was for Barcelona under twelve. So we're gonna, yeah, unless they were that explicit about it." You as a player, like you say, you're just you're you're gonna do what they tell you to do. So you pretty much conscious of it. Yeah, I was going to ask you two both actually about like you know for me looking at coaches I see that as quite like a lot of responsibility because you've got a whole group of players and for you two as well you're both like in like you coach the development phase don't you of players like the academy and things like that and do you both feel like a sense of strong like responsibility to get them players not only to be the best players they can be but to also like build them as people as well I I feel it 100% and and at times I've probably got too much in my feelings about it if I'm honest like there's been times where I'm like (gasps) like the anxiety of that has probably got too much for me and I've had to take a step back and that's where like I have different mentors some of them don't even know that they're my mentors but (laughs) they are um and I have people that I kind of bounce stuff off of um just to kind of center myself again because sometimes I that sense of responsibility can feel a little bit overwhelming I think especially when you work in certain environments where you're conscious that you're trying to coach like players that could potentially play for their country one day and they're 12 years old and you're like "Eh." um but yeah I but I think you know so don't do what I do don't don't get too much in your feelings about it but I do think it is important for coaches to recognize that level of responsibility that they have at whatever level you're coaching at because actually and this could be a whole nother podcast rant in itself but it actually bothers me that in grassroots football um it's almost like it's run by volunteers when actually that's where all the paid coaches need to be because if you're not inspiring and engaging at that level there aren't going to be academy players of the future no one starts in an academy everyone starts in the garden or the park right so um, I think whatever level you coach at, who, whichever age group you're coaching, I think every coach should have that sense of responsibility. What do you think about that, Hans? Uh, I agree and I disagree. Um, not with what Ali said. Most of it was perfectly fine. It's just the fact that with the paid role of volunteer coaches and stuff like that as well, I don't see how it's kind of feasible. Fortunately for me, I'm a paid coach, which is really nice so far as well. It's just when you see a lot of how can I explain? When you see a lot of volunteers doing it, they do it for the love of the game, which is great. It's really good to see. But for a lot of people, unfortunately, they're there because they want to win. They don't want to see their plays develop. So, so, uh, so like for me, because I work weekends, I don't see my team playing on Saturday, Sunday when they play. Mostly because I coach them like during the week, which is perfectly fine for me. But I make sure that they're good mentally and socially as well. I make sure that they're there as kids having fun because again if you're looking at the foundation phase and the development phase personally I couldn't care less if they won or lost on the weekend I'm there to train them I'm there to make sure that when they go back into school they're there as a better human being or they're there better than they were last week as well which is really nice for me to see personally I quite like it when the parents are then saying oh yeah it's focusing a lot more in school because a lot of our volunteer coaches they're kind of kind of they're kind of scared to kind of upset the parents that are like on the side of the pitch watching their kids play I couldn't care less personally again that's probably me being naive but I'm just kind of there like if the kids misbehaving if they're arguing I'll throw them out of the session and it won't be like a timeout or throw them out of like yeah your parents paid for you to come here and you didn't get to play because you were being rude and that's because I have I feel like I have I have that authority but with some people who feel like oh yeah it's just here because kids want to play and they want to have a fun time they can do that but for me, it's about teaching them a lesson. They don't develop if they don't have a proper lesson to develop from as well. And I'm pretty sure that some people will deal with things in different ways, but this is how I deal with things at, at kids at such a young age as well, because just kind of they're thinking, if they're talking to their parents like this on their way home or on their way into the session, I don't want them talking to me like that at all. Or I don't want them talking to other kids like that, where it affects other kids' mood as well, because you don't want to be that kind of coach that doesn't see something because you're too focused on winning the game. You want to be that kind of coach that sees something and eliminates it straight away in terms of, oh yeah, this this player is really upset because he's getting bullied because, for example, he supports a football team that no one else really does or the fact that he has football boots that are older than other one other people in the pitch. And you see that. You really see that. And it's quite 
upsetting to really see because you that's not the kid's problem and it's not the parent's problem it's just how it is there's no problem to it but people want to tease things i know it's people say oh yeah you could leave it to like banter but i'm like if they're kids it's not banter it's just bullying at the end of the day so i'm just kind of there making sure like it's almost like half pe teacher half football coach in a way i'm just kind of there like making sure that these are i'm behaving properly when they go on the weekend to play their game they're respecting the opposition properly as well if i hear any bad news about any players not doing anything um, what they should be doing then they don't get to play for a certain amount of time and I tell their parents and I'm like if this has happened again I don't want them in the club and then annoyingly sometimes my gaffer will like undermine me that may have happened to you as well in terms of the fact that they're like oh no no he won't really throw the kid out of, of the club completely I'm like yeah I will and I'm like try me and I'm just kind of <laughs> so it's, it's quite fun in that kind of way because I've learned a lot from my friends over the last year in the coaching environment as well that some people are really like that and they will throw the kids out because they're just like you're not really there to service the kids or to service you. You're you're there to service the community in a way. If it's community coaching, you're there to su uh, support people who want to have a game of fun football. They all, they just want to play a game. That's all they want to do. They want to make friends, which is perfectly fine. Not not everyone's there to become the next Mbappe or Haaland. They're there to actually just play the game and enjoy being with people because I think this may be, I think a lot of people listening to this will probably agree. When you're in sports cl uh, clubs from a younger age, you're a lot more sociable as well. And you're a lot more um, interactive when you grow up as well, because you have that fascination of exploring new things better than people who are just kind of limited to going to school and going home. Because if you're kind of like that, you're limited to what you're actually doing in your day. But if you're spending the time doing like arts and craft or going to a sports club, you're enjoying yourself because you're learning from new people. And that's what I really believe I really like doing as a coach. I really like making sure that people are there actually communicating with one another. I'm making sure the worst player on the team is getting the best support from everyone. I'm making sure the best player on the team isn't making himself act like he's a superstar because no one's a superstar mm. when, again, it's a cliche, everyone can be a superstar if they're treated like it. And that's kind of my, like I said, 90% agree, but it's just that little bit of a disagree in terms of the fact that volunteers sometimes can get paid, but not always should get paid. No, no, I think um I think you touched on a really important point there though, Hams, about like what drives you and all coaches should ask themselves this, like why do you coach and why do you want to coach? And and that will and I always say as a coach, try and experience as many different environments as possible because that way you will learn wh which environment is best for you. Um, because I think sometimes it's just that the wrong coaches are in the wrong environment or, or you know, good coaches, but maybe in the wrong environment, vice versa. Just just to clarify, I, I wasn't saying all volunteers should be paid. What I was saying was that because a lot of grassroots football is volunteer run, and I absolutely understand why, and we don't live in an ideal world, it therefore attracts people like maybe some of the people you're talking about. Um, and because you can't demand, you can only de start making demands on people if you're going to pay them, right? So when you've got volunteers, to a certain extent, a lot of clubs will just take what they get because they need the volunteers and they need someone to run it. So I think just sometimes the, the way football structured, even within academies, the pay is lowest at the youngest age, age groups. And to me, that's a nonsense mm. because if you don't train those kids properly and in, get them to embrace the culture of your club and the values and all of that, they're not going to make it to the older age groups. They're not going to make it to your first team. If, if you're not going to give them a good experience, they're going to go to another club. So why are those coaches who are experts in coaching that age group getting paid less? But anyway, we could, that that could be a whole other podcast. But yeah. Um, Part two incoming with Ali. Yeah, I love right, it. You know. <laughs> I think you've both touched on like really good points there. And it's interesting for me to listen to as well, both sides of it really. Because like, I honestly, I wouldn't have known anything like that beforehand. So it's interesting to, See how you like um, argued both of the points as well. <laughs> um, there was no argument there. It was just Ali clearing up something that I misunderstood, and I thought it was a really way, really good way of explaining it as well. Because a lot of people, like we said, volunteers are there for the manpower. Without them actually wanting to admit it, they're there because the club need the manpower. Getting kids mm -hmm. to um, a, a game and without a game, um, who can they take? Like a, someone who has like a seven seater car can take five or six kids basically with loads of footballs if you then say to the person nah sorry don't volunteer or we can't pay you whatever it is they won't want to come and their kids and all six or seven may not want to come so that's a little kerfuffle there to kind of deal with later on that's kind of what I had in mind but Ali cleared it up pretty well there I would say 
Mm-hmm. You're right. Both of you are right. Yeah. Uh, very good discussion. <laughs> Let's say <laughs> there we go. Um, so, I mean, we are coming to the end of the episode now, and Ali usually. Both me and Hams have a few quick fire questions for you. Okay. So, Hams, do you want me to go first? I'm dying to ask it. By all means, go for it. I'll ask both of you, actually, but Ali first. What are your favourite pair of boots? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Like all time? Yeah, let's go with all time. I feel like the boots... I don't even know because the thing is I had like Adidas Predators so I feel like that's a proper old school good like, choice boot. um and then when I actually like was playing like um in that Sunday league team Adidas sort of re read like re-released but like they were a new version of the Predator but they were like the Adidas Predator um so I'd probably have to go with those just because they have that special memory. That wasn't very quick fire, sorry. No, that's a very good choice as well. I remember my first pair of Adidas Predators. I think I was like 10 or something, and it was those shiny blue ones, you know, the metallic blue with the yeah, tongue. Yeah. The tongue was like bigger than the boots, and it had that yeah. man on the tongue, and it had that that elastic band underneath it. I think David Beckham ones, right? Yeah, I think But they metallic so. blue. Yeah. They were great. Amazing. Amazing. What about you, Hans? I've just sent it to you on WhatsApp, so you can use it for the editing later on as well. But they were uh, my first pair of proper boots. I think they were handed me down from my brothers, but it's the black and blue Total 90 oh, boots yeah, that I had that's as well. classic, man. And it was literally, it's one of those things now when, if I'm buying football boots, I'll just buy whatever's comfortable. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, I wanted these because they were incredible. You see them in the Nike adverts. They were exciting to wear and exciting to watch. And it's one of those when you're wearing them and you're like, wow, this feels great. And as a kid, you feel like you have superpowers by wearing boots like that as well. So they were mine. Just on boots, though, quickly as a football coach, right? So I, I, when I was learning how to, I mean, I'm always learning how to be a coach. But when I first started coaching, there was this whole thing around uh, coaches only wear black boots. And maybe, Hams, you'll be of that school of thought. I don't know. And I'm not saying it's wrong. But me, I like to express myself and my personality. So I've probably only got like one pair of black boots. Um, all my boots are always different colours and, and and stuff like that. And you know what? It's a really good way of starting conversations with the players, especially if they're young as well, because they'll ask you about your boots. Whereas if you've just got these black boots that all the coaches have bought, they're bored of them. They don't like them. So, yeah. Do you know what I say, Ali? Mm. I say kick racism out of football. <laughs> Why, why, I've never seen that in terms of that's like the worst unspoken law in football, in my opinion. All coaches should wear black boots. Why? Like it's you're so seeing, you're seeing Eric Ten Hag wear his white um, high tops to football games, which is crazy. You're seeing football managers in the Premier League wear different types of shoes and different types of coats. And you're talking about coaches at grassroots level just wear black boots. If you've got one pair of boots and they're a nice pair of like red and white ones, why would you then go, oh, yeah, just because everyone else is wearing black boots, I have to wear it. I find that nonsensical, personally. Cause... You know you know whose style I really like on the touchline? Graham Potter's. Serena Wiegman. Ooh. Like, just a, just crisp white shirt, suit trousers, and then some fresh crepes. Like, if I ever make it that big in the game, that she's my style icon on the touchline. That's how I'm going to... You'll see me at Wembley in the technical area, just like, hey, don't touch my crepes. Hey. <laughs> Could we see you coaching Blackburn one day if Millie was still there? Actually, coaching Blackburn. Um, oh gosh, I don't know. Like you yeah. just said Wembley, so you're like, oh Blackburn, that's a step. Too yeah, far. I know, but that that's was, too north for me. That was that was almost like my little like jokey dream. Um, it's too cold in Blackburn. It's far too cold. It's cold. It's too cold. rainy. It's too cold, and it's too dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Up north. Up north. Yeah. <laughs> um no it's a funny one sorry I know we're we're trying to wrap up this episode and we're we're in the quick fire round and I'm just longing out the quick fire no but, go for um, it I think also just so so you and your listeners are aware like I am in a bit of a transitional phase at the moment in terms of where I take my career because I at the moment I'm, I'm about to sort of pause coaching as it were potentially I'm waiting on I'm waiting to hear about a job <laughs> if I get the job then I'm coaching and I'm coaching full time but if I don't get this job um 
I I am potentially going to like take a little little break from coaching because I'm trying to move. I work in the civil service outside of football and I'm trying to move into sport full time. So I'm potentially going to take a little break from coaching just to work out like my next step. So it's, it, it is an interesting time for me, though, to think about actually what are my dreams, like whether they're pipe dreams or not, like where do I want to take my career? You can, but, you um, can have your gap year with the beautiful mind game. We're, we're accepting internships. You know, I can go on a gap year in Blackburn, innit? Yeah. <laughs> why, why not? Why not? It'll be good fun. You can join us for our little football games that we've got created coming up as well, which will be quite fun as well. So yeah. if you wanted to kick about, you've got Millie and you've got myself as well, which would be quite nice to um, carry on with as well. But yeah, if you ever want to have an internship at, at the Beautiful Mind Game podcast and be our third co-host, we'd love it. It'd be fantastic. Amazing, amazing. Um, my quick fire question for you, Ali, is it's quite a bog standard one, but a powerful one. Uh, what's your most powerful achievement in football? not very good at quick fire you know you know why because I think deeply so I find it hard to answer quickly um my most powerful did you say my most powerful achievement yeah most um, powerful it's probably I was coaching at a club I won't say the club I was coaching at a club and I noticed something was up with one of my players and in at half time, it was match day at half time. She was just in tears, and there was not she hadn't been injured or anything. And so I, I said to her like, "We're gonna go and stand behind the goal." She was she was a left back, so I was like, "We're gonna in the second half, we're gonna go and stand behind our goal, and we're gonna look at your position, and we're just gonna chat." And the reason I took her there is because I wanted everyone to think we were just talking about the game. But really, I just I wanted to know what was wrong with her. Um, and so we just had this really open and honest conversation. And basically what she described to me was depression. And so we just talked about that. And then I talked to her parents afterwards and her parents were like, oh, yeah, we've been aware like she's got an appointment at the doctor. Da, da, da. Anyway, um, we then had a really like close, you know, sort of coach athlete relationship after that, where she always knew that she could come and talk to me and stuff. Fast forward literally like what four years or something I don't know like years 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 and then we're in the pandemic we're in lockdown and I get this message this player is now 17 or something and um I get a message on Instagram and she says to me I didn't um I uh I just wanted to say I I'm doing PE for my A-levels and I had to write about like a coach or someone inspirational to me and I've written about you and she was like and I just want to thank you for that time we had that conversation because she said I don't actually play football anymore but that conversation helped me so much with my mental health and um it just it just meant so much to me and I was just like what like that honestly like because I'm sure other people answer that question like oh I won this trophy or I did that thing or whatever but honestly those are the things that are going to stay with me like that's why I coach I coach to support players as people um so yeah that's probably my most powerful achievement like I kept someone I kept someone's head above water if that makes sense I've never asked that question on this podcast before so yeah that was, okay. that was the right time to introduce it, which is pretty good. Which is I've really set the good. bar then, didn't it? <laughs> Definitely. We've had, we've had Olympic athletes. We've had uh, former footballers on, footballers on currently as well. And we've had you, who's just had a really powerful answer to end the podcast. So I think we've done pretty well there, Ali. Um, but no, Millie, I'll let you um, round off the podcast. But before I let Millie round off the podcast, Ali, I just want to say thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolute Joy and a pleasure to learn from you and to discuss football with you and mostly just in terms of how to become a, a better you is kind of how it's worked really well, which is quite nice to really hear. And um, especially that conversation about identity as well, identity as a coach and identity as a human being goes to show there's a lot we can talk about and discuss going further. But um, um, yeah, Millie, I'll let you close off the podcast for us. I think that I just want to echo what Hamza said, because I think that we've learned so much and there's so many different like parts of it as well, what you've taught us and what we spoke about. And we all resonate with it as well. Um, and it was nice to hear both of your sides of things and how you think. Um, did you enjoy it, Ali? I really did. Thanks, Hams, for your words and, and Millie for yours. Like genuinely, that's probably one of 
it's probably been one of the most conversational podcasts I've been on where it, it has just felt like a chat between the three of us so I really enjoyed it thank you so much for inviting me on great no that's what we're about as well definitely we we try and um yeah just chat really isn't it Hans? I mean I'm still gonna pester Ali for her internship with us so yeah hopefully <laughs> Hopefully she'll be back for more conversations <laughs> later on as well, which would be good fun. And um, as we are branching out into doing more in-person content as well, if you're ever up north, Ali, it'd be great to have a conversation with you in person and to learn from you as well, which would be yeah, quite fun. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's Definitely. Great. That'd be great. Definitely. But uh, no, if a little quick message, if you are listening to this and you have taken something from it, then please share it with all your friends, all your family, whoever you think might benefit from it because there were some great 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 things to take from it and we've all learned a lot so yeah i mean give us a share um give us a comment give us some feedback as well that would be amazing and thank you again for listening to another episode with us thank you hans thank you ali and thank you everyone else and goodbye after the after credits as well i just wanted to let everyone know our (laughs) yeah our conversation with holly mills the great british heptathlete uh is our most downloaded episode ever with like 120 views so everyone thank you very much for listening to us in terms of sharing and um literally just helping us move forward and get better guests on and i can't wait to see what we've got next and hopefully like i said we have a third co-host joining us with ali so we'll we'll see how it goes from there but no everyone thank you very much for listening we genuinely appreciate your feedback and your support and we can't wait to see what we've got coming up next everyone take care and goodbye